Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Black Witch Club Podcast. I am your lovely host, Franny Crooks. And today, as always, I have a very, very special guest joining me for a great chat. I'm so excited. I'm so looking forward to this chat. Um, We can describe him as a PR marketing maven. He has helped launch and catapult major brands and products. Some of you ladies have heard of it, created by Spanx the clothing collection that Eva Longoria created with The Limited, as well as a great partnership deal between NBA star Dwayne Wade and Mission Activewear. And that's just to put some filler in his career because he has done a lot more other things, and this is just things that he's done from the past. Presently, he is changing the narrative between people of color and brands by bridging the gap with his own company, Noir Management, which we will learn more about now. So please, everyone, welcome Mr. Ernest B. James. Hello, Mr. Hi. Ernest B. James. Hi, how are you? Oh, my God, it's so crazy to hear your bio read back to you. <laughs> right? And a lot of people say that. When I create the bio and I read it, it's like people don't realize, like, how much stuff that they have done. And that's a little bit. Like, I can go on and on. I've read so much about you reading so much researching and you've yeah. done a lot in your career and you're just getting started like how does that feel knowing that you've done all of these things and you're literally about to do something else bigger than <laughs> what you've done before yeah it's crazy you know I think a lot of people forget that um you just have to put your head down and do the work and then when you look up it's almost like um wow I've built this amazing house but I never realized how big the house was getting because I just kept building and building and building. So I think that's a testament to just the way I was raised by you don't ask for a handout. Um, Although closed mouths don't get fed, you ask for the opportunity and then you prove why you're the one, the best one for the job or the best one for that opportunity. So I've always made sure that anything I did, I was the best at what I did. I worked harder. I stayed later, came earlier. And I think it's a testament to when you hear someone read your bio or when you look back on 11 years in a career in PR, marketing, and branding and say, oh, I did do all of that. And oh, yeah. there's so much more to do. There's so much more to do. Wow, 11 years. And I read all of that, and that's just 11 years. And 11 years is a long time to be in the industry, but that's like a short amount of time to do a lot of things that you've done. So kudos to you. And congratulations you. on, you know, all your success and all of that. Um, you did mention your upbringing, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like, who was Ernest growing up? Like, what kind of kid were you And let's say, uh, junior high or high school? Like, what kind of kid were you then? <laughs> I was, like, one of the, like, popular kids. Um, there were times I when I was it. bullied. So even <laughs> though I was, like, bullied, for being like, you know, a young black gay man in a predominantly all black school growing up, I compensated or overcompensated for that by being the smartest one in class, being the funniest one in class. So I kind of started to change my own narrative to say like, yeah, you Mm. may like be making fun of me because of this one thing that I can't change, (laughs) you know what I mean? But look at Mm -hmm. all the other amazing qualities I have. And from there, you know, I think, and I don't even have my yearbook, I think I was like, voted for like five superlatives like most likely to know what's wow. going on most likely to succeed um best dress like all of those like funny things you look back on and they meant so much more then but when you think about it now you're like did i really care that i was nominated best dress in high school like <laughs> my, my mother bought more like, no. clothes like did it really matter but though you know but yeah i was i had ap classes um i worked very oh, yeah, hard you were I, smart I was not playing around because, again, my I was raised by a single mother um, who taught me that this is your life. What happens to you in this life is your responsibility and no one else's. You can't control how people treat you, but you can control how you react to the treatment from others. And I've always taken mm. that with me because I think what, what happens is we go through life expecting um, people to do things for us, and that's like – the killer of all, like, happiness, that's the killer of any relationship. When you go into any relationship, professional or personal, with expectations, those expectations most likely are never met because people aren't mind readers. So you can't expect someone to treat you how you want to be treated, and when they don't treat you the way you want to be treated, you can't react on how you expected them to treat you. 
Absolutely. You have to react on exactly how they treat you. And it's the same in business. Like I never went to a job or never approached a client or worked on a project expecting um, people to care. I hoped mm. they would care. And I hope that my work would show that it was something worth caring about. But I never say, oh, yeah, this is going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be the winner, winner, chicken dinner. Like, I'm about to kill it. They about to come <laughs> and, like, you know, like, get the awards out. We about to kill it. Because when you go into yes. it with that expectation, you've already set yourself up for failure because you almost forget the journey and what it takes to make it a success, to make it a killer. So I never rest on my laurels. I never – take one success and say, this is how everything will be moving forward. I always approach everything with a fresh set of eyes and say, I hope it's successful. I want it to be successful, and I'm going to do everything I need to do to make it successful. But if it's not, I'm going to learn a lesson to make the next one successful. Wow. Isn't it amazing, like, looking back at what kind of kid you were and what you thought was important compared to now and what you know is, like, important in this moment? It's so pivotal. Like, it's just amazing to discuss. Yeah. So tell me, we're still in the, you know, the past stages of Ernest. Tell me what was your first nine to five? Oh, my God. My first nine to five was a, um, I was always in retail because I always loved fashion. So my first nine to five was uh, Wet Seal. I was like the boy that worked in the mall. So I went from one store to the other store. I worked at a store called Wet Seal. (laughs) I was obsessed. I know I mean, Wet I any... <laughs> Right. I feel like everyone knows Wet Seal. So <laughs> I worked at Wet Seal in St. Charles Mall in um, Charles County, Maryland. Shout out to anybody from the DMV area. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I worked there and then moved on to another retail store, which was literally across the hall, called Up Against the Wall, which was like Oh, I heard of that. Cool. Yeah. Yes. They're no longer around, which is so sad. But it's yeah, sad. Yeah. That was, it was, was so good. Sad. Up against the wall was like our version of I'm trying to think like just like a cool like boutique that sold like the latest um street fashion but also some high end stuff. I remember one birthday my mom took me to Up Against the Wall and bought me a D and G wallet and I cherished that wallet. Like wow. I didn't have any money to put in that D and G wallet. All I knew was <laughs> I want the D and G wallet from Up Against the Wall. And then when the buckle belts were popular, she bought me a Harley Davidson buckle belt. I'm like, oh, God, the things that I cared about. <laughs> but it was like, if you didn't have a buckle belt in high school, you were no body. one. You, you were, were no, no one. one. <laughs> it's like, why do you have bottle caps? And it was literally a seat belt, a piece of leather with bottle caps on it. Like, what is happening? So, but, yeah, but we, needed the wall, we needed it. We needed it. it for the culture. Up against the wall in Westdale. <laughs> cemented my love of fashion because it was two different customers um and you just kind of saw like the emotional connection people would have when they would come in and I got to go out and I'm going out with my boyfriend or I'm going out with my girls and I need a quick top or I need a quick dress or even guys saying like yeah I'm going on a date with this new shorty I need the latest um you know what do you guys have from Jerbeau that's when like you know Jerbeau was big oh yeah um that was a lot of guys were wearing state property so when state property was popping off and, like, all the hood guys still wanted to look put together, it was like, oh, wow, like, selling these things to people. Like, you could tell, like, people, like, fashion, especially in the African-American community, helped define us. Like, we could be mm-hmm. living in not the best conditions, but we wouldn't let people know that. So our clothes allowed us to yeah. build almost this, like, fly. shield. Yeah. It's like, I, I, we might yeah. be broke, but I'm going to look fly. You're not going to know my struggle. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not going to wear the struggle. Definitely exactly. not. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not going to wear the struggle. So tell me, then, how have these jobs – oh, go ahead. Go ahead if you're not done. Yeah, no, go I was going to say, yeah. No, I was going to say from there, I uh, worked all of my summers from high school until my sophomore year of college. I worked at Six Flags in Maryland, and I started what? in the food department right. I started in the food department at the front of Talk the Talk about main. humble beginnings. Humble, humble beginnings. beginnings. Okay, like uniform, khaki pants, white Air Force One. I need a photo. I need hey, a photo. I do have a I photo. I need to too. see it's it. so funny. You know, cool, yeah, please send it to me. <laughs> I was in the funnel cake shop, Main Street Funnel Cake. Shout out to that crew. 
We used to close the park wow. down because everyone wanted a funnel cake right before the park closed. And then when I went to college and I studied at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, I then switched to retail within Six Flags. So I worked in the water park and um, worked at one of the largest um, flip-flop shops, which was, like, right at the beginning because, of course, people come to the the amusement park and they will skip, forget their flip-flops. So we were constantly busy, swim trunks, all of that stuff. And I would never forget because the store would always have on loop a Bob Marley tribute concert. So I had discovered Bob Marley because before – before Six Flags and before that water park shop, I had only heard of Bob Marley, but I had never really listened to his music. And I think the DVD was mm. like two and a half hours, and I kept hearing like Lauren wow. Hill, like all these people singing his songs, and I'm like, oh, this is hot. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, humble beginnings. For wow, sure. humble, humble beginnings, beginnings for sure, for sure, for sure. I would have never known. I would have never thought. Definitely <laughs> humble beginnings. But tell me how having these humble beginnings, how did that shape you into falling into PR, or did that have, like, any impact on it at all? You know, I always, like, realized early on that I had a knack for writing. Um, I was a storyteller. I would always, like, unfortunately, like, tell lies because I would be like, oh, they don't want to hear the truth, so let me tell them something better than the truth. And most times I got Mm. away with it. And my mother's like, oh, my God, you are such a fibber. You are such a liar. But then after a while, she'd be like, but you're such a great storyteller. Like, I believe you. Like, you've made Mm. this so believable. And so um, I remember, like, early on in my childhood, I had won this writing contest um, out in Philadelphia. And it just kind of, like, reminded me that, like, telling stories was a way to connect people but also allow people to escape reality. Mm. So I knew early on that, you know, something that I did had to be creative in some sense. I didn't know what that meant um, in terms of like what exactly that creative job would be, but I knew I had to be creative and be able to write and talk. And I'm a natural connector of people. Like I make friends very easily. Um, I connect with just about anybody on anything. So I knew that had to um, sustain me and also provide some type of career to me because it was what came natural to me. Um, I think before mm. I went to college, I really, really thought I was going to be a uh, gynecologist. I was like, I love women. I love, I was raised by strong women, so I want to give back. And I was like, oh, like, you know, um, maternal health and things of that nature, just the amount of women of color who don't get proper maternal health um, and mm. young girls who aren't properly educated on how their bodies change and what those changes mean to their reproductive systems and just their personal hygiene. So I really thought I was going to be a gynecologist. And then I went to, I did two, um, two years of AP chemistry and AP algebra and realized I do not like math. I do not care wow. for science. So there is no way I'm going to be a doctor. So I just, you know, unfortunately to my mother's, dismay, I applied only to one college my senior year of um, high school, and that was the Fashion Institute of Technology. And while everyone was applying to five or six, I was like, nope, this is it. This is the one I'm going to. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? That You're only applying to one? Like, that's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. She's like, what if you don't get in? I was like, what if I do? (laughs) I will never forget February. It was Valentine's Day, February 14, 2004, a white envelope came in the mail with congratulations written across the front. I was like, I think I got in. I think I got in. Wow. And the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about your first PR position. How was that? Were you an intern? Did you start out salary? Like, how was that? I started out um, interning. So I went to FIT and I took the, um, I got my associates in fashion merchandising and management I got a bachelor's in marketing communi- in advertising and marketing communication. So I have two I'm degrees. Still with the degrees, yes. <laughs> Excuse so, me. Okay. You know, um, I first thought I was going to be a buyer, and I was like, oh, my God, I want to go to the fashion shows and buy clothes and put them in the stores, and that's essentially what the track was for fashion merchandising management. You were learning how to be a buyer, and a buyer 
for anyone who doesn't know, is someone who goes and develops relationships with designers and brands, and they buy a certain number of each collection to fill a retail store. Um, and it, a lot of it is the math. It's about seasonality, knowing trends, you know, if black is hot, so making sure that the store assortment had enough black to um, resemble what was happening on the streets or in the fashion shows or on TV. And after a while, I was just like, again, here comes this math thing. Like, I don't like math. And it was a lot of retail math. <laughs> like, you have to understand if you bought something at cost, which is, let's say, $5, but your your retail markup is 60%, so you got to oh, sell it yeah. for double okay. that because math. you can't break it. I was like, oh, my God. And then it was like inventory <laughs> levels. It's like you got to sell 50% of your inventory mid-season because by the third, you know, week into the last of the season, it needs to be on markdown. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So I took a <laughs> PR course, and my teacher literally pulled me after class and was like, I know you're. this is just an elective course for you, but – you should really change your degree to advertising and marketing because you are so wow. good at communicating and um, connecting, and that's a lot about what PR is. And to this day, I thank that professor for just kind of seeing seeing my natural born talent that I already knew what was in that was in me and pushing me in that direction. And I think that mm-hmm. is a testament to everything that's happened in my life. Nothing has happened by chance. It has literally been designed by God for me to meet certain people, mm-hmm. to have certain experiences, to then lead me in the direction that I'm supposed to go in. Of course, sometimes mm-hmm. originally I don't pay attention, and then I realize when I have, like, a failure that I'm like, ugh, I knew this was not mm-hmm. the path to take, but I continue to go down that path. So I am just very much in tune to what you know, my spiritual compass has told me because I know that nothing happens by chance. And to come from a single-parent household, being the only person, being the first person in my immediate family to even graduate from college, like, that's huge, you know. To move away from the DMV area um, is huge for my family. You know, a lot of us, like, I live 15 minutes away from my grandmother, and then my uncle lived, like, five minutes away from there. So, like, we are so tightly knit that, you know, mm. they were so proud of me to go to New York, and I didn't know anybody in New York, and start this career. So my first PR position was through that professor who said, hey, you should do this and change your degree, because she actually um, allowed me to get a scholarship from a company by the name of Theory, which is still around today. It's ran mm. by um, yeah, the visionary um, the Andrew Rosen. Andrew Rosen. And um, Andrew Rosen is the CEO of Theory, and he just is like a fashion industry icon. Um, wow. And he's, you know, invested in, I think, everyone from Parenza Schooler to also um, Helmut Lang. He has also invested wow. in um, Rag and Bone. So he has a ton of clout in the industry. So um, he provided me with a scholarship my sophomore year of college at FIT and allowed me to intern in his creative department under um, the creative director at the time was Leanne Freemar, who is now Mm. um, over at Starbucks. So she's like one of the top executives at Starbucks now. Um, So this is like the type of people that I've been able to work under. Um, I also worked with in working in the creative department, I had a dotted line to the PR department because the creative department made everything from the store tags to what the website would look like to in-store marketing. And then we would work with the PR team if they had an event of some sort um, and they needed invites, like all of the invites, anything that had theory on it and it was creative came through that creative department and under Leanne's team. Mm. And then so I would work a lot if um, the creative team didn't have anything for me I let them know that I was interning, that I was studying PR at school, and I would love to work with the PR team when I didn't have anything to do in creative. So they allowed me to kind of be shared between the PR department um, and the creative team. And, you know, when I was interning, it was really like, okay, put these samples away, check these samples out, send these samples here, send these samples there. 
And that's really what it was. And I think a lot of people, you know, when I look back on when I was interning, which was 2005, 2006, like, mm. there was no, like, I'm not packing those bags. I'm not picking up those I boxes. Know. And I feel like, you know, shout out to the younger millennials because I think I'm on the older millennial spectrum, but the younger millennials and the Gen Z, like, shout out to them because they are truly trailblazers and um, how they are using the technology that's available to them to advance not only the, their own ideas and agendas, but also those of marginalized groups. So I think yeah, Gen sure. Z and the younger millennial are definitely helping shed light on some um, topics that a lot of people would not have shed light on before and actually using the platforms available to them to um, amplify their message. But they also are lazy. And I am happy to go on record because there is a large. <laughs> I was wait, of I was waiting for that part. I was waiting. Yeah, I'm like, because like, they don't want they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. They're like samples, pack a box. Yeah. What are you talking about? No, no one earns their I can't. Anymore. No one earns their stripes anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, young grasshopper. There are certain fundamentals of life that you cannot avoid. No amount of technology, yeah, technological sure. advancements will literally take away the Give fact that one this. plus one is two. Yeah, yes, people definitely. don't sit down. So that's no, what I was doing. I was so interning. Right. Yeah, interning, packing boxes, sending out samples, getting lunch, getting coffee. And I was happy to do it because here I am, this black boy from D.C. in this big, Brawling. We were in the Grace Building before they built their building, their own office, which is down in Meatpacking. But we were on, like, the 40th floor of the Grace Building in New York City across from Bryant Park. And here I was, just wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, oh, my God. Mm. Oh, my God, I'm in New York City. Oh, my God, I'm in this, like, amazing office. And, oh, my God, they, they gave me an email address. And it's, you know, whatever it was at the time at Theory.com. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It was so humbling and so exciting mm. to just be in the room. In and I the think building, that's also yeah. People, people are losing the excitement of being in the room and they're expecting to be in the room. And that's great. You should expect to be great and you should expect to be respected, to be respected. But degree. also you have to remember that you must always be humble because mm-hmm. people pick up on cockiness and your ego will crush and kill you every single time. And I always say, Mm. check your ego at the door, because now that I have my own company, I am not above packing boxes, scrubbing walls after an event. Whatever has to get Mm. done has to get done. So, yeah. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. So (laughs) let's be honest, because I also um, interned in PR um, when I was, like, unsure about being a writer, you know, doing interviews, I interned at FYI PR. I'm pretty sure you heard of them. Um, yes. So I interned there, and let's be honest, PR and marketing is not an industry where many people of color are, you know. Amen. Especially yeah. black men. You guys right. are definitely not Too in the forefront in of the industry. Exactly. And you might find black women, but as far as black men, I feel like there's less black men in PR and marketing, you know, than there are Mm -hmm. black women. And there's very few black women, you know. So tell me, were there any challenges for you, you know, being that person in such an industry that does not look like you, having to represent, sorry, represent, you know, people and products that do not serve you, how was that for you? Were there any challenges when it came to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest one um, was just realizing, like, oh, you're the only one, mm. you know? And I, and I think sometimes, and even back then in 2005, 2006, I was like, how can I be the only one? But there are times in today 2018 that you are still the only one. So Mm, once I got over being the only one, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be the representative of my, my people, then I'm going to be the best representative because hopefully I will change 
the perception of what people think when they think of a black man or they think of black people in general. So I'm going to be professional. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be hardworking. I'm going to be all of those things. Now, was that my cross to bear? Maybe, maybe not. But I said, if I'm given this opportunity, I'm not going to mess it up because I'm, uh, you know, I'm uncomfortable being the only one. And I think that's also comes with confidence in oneself. Like, Yes, you acknowledge the fact that you're the only one and you're annoyed by that, but you also don't let that be a hindrance to your overall success. Mm. And I mm. think I Amen. learned early on that the only way to change a game is to Trojan horse it. Like people always are on the outside looking in trying to make change, but what you need to do is assimilate, get in, and change it from the inside out. Yeah. I, I... So. I can agree. That's definitely a good tip. Everyone listening, yeah. Go through the back door, learn the game, and change the game to benefit you and those that look and experience life like you. And so Mm. it was hard in the beginning. You know, I I thought I I could, like, talk about certain things, and then I was like, I learned very quickly. I'm like, they do not know little Kim. They do not know who Biggie is. You cannot be in here talking about the latest thing that just (laughs) dropped on Hot 97. So I quickly, you know, started to pay attention to, and at the time I was going to school at FIT, so FIT was predominantly um, Caucasian, and my major was predominantly Caucasian women. So I had a ton of um, female friends who were white, and I would listen to their music, and I would read their books, and I would watch their TV shows. And after a while, I was, I was able to have a conversation about Sex in the City, and I think Sex in the City is one of the greatest TV shows ever created. Um, mm. You know, I was able to know what the debutante diaries were and who Plum Sykes was and all of these different authors that weren't sold at, Her- like, Caribou, which is the African-American bookstore at every black mall. You know, I was mm. like, oh, wait. Okay, there's a whole other genre that I need to know and understand because when you go into a corporate environment, most times we forget that, the corporate environment isn't set up set up for us to succeed in. And those that succeed, mm. succeed by not only knowing who they are, but knowing who others are. Yeah. So where our counterparts only need to worry about them and not what, you know, motivates us, what excites us, things of that nature, we for sure have to know what excites them because they need to see you as, a non-threat. They need to see you as, oh, he's so cool. He's one of the cool ones. And that's unfortunate that that is the conversations we have to remind ourselves of. But it's a reality that hopefully one day will change. But I see so many people say, oh, I can't do the corporate life. I can't do this. And corporate life could may not be for some people because it is a game. You have mm-hmm. to know how to play the game. And some people don't want to play the game. And it's everybody's God-given right to not God play that game. Like I've played that game, and I know exactly what that game is like and how, if not checked, how deep you can get into the game. Mm. And so, so I realized being comfortable around these women, I had to be the funny, lovable, gay black man that could be their best, their gay black best friend, and that's what I became. Mm. Wow. Because that's that's a very, you know, clear experience yeah. that I that a lot of people don't see because, you know, PR is more so behind the scenes. They only see, you know, the celebrity or they see the product, they see the end and they see the result event. of, yeah. you know, the heart Yeah. And even too the people who usually represent the company, if you go to these these events do not look like us, they're not black, they're not brown. And we have no idea that these there are talented people behind these brands that are mm-hmm. helping to create, you know, that message that that does bridge that gap from, you know, consumer to the actual product. So, yeah, I feel like I think it's great with your company, what you're doing, and we're going to fast forward and talk about, you know, your company and everything that you're providing, which I immediately was like, I need him on this podcast because I feel like you and I are in the same lane, like trying to um, poke the bear the same way. You know what I mean? So tell me about your management company, what you're doing and, you know, how you are changing the world with, you know, 
your management company and the way that you are deciding to um, manage, I should say, and the way you you deciding to work, because I think it's very interesting, and I think everyone should know. So tell me about Noah Management and what you are doing. Tell me that about your niche. Yeah. Because I love that part. So, <laughs> yeah, so I think it was towards the end of my last job, um, which was at APAPR. I was doing – I was uh, tapped to um, help oversee and develop their style portfolio. So I spent some time at LaForce & Stevens, which is a huge agency um, that has everyone from Glove Key Co. to Target. That's where I did the Eva Longoria campaign for the Limited. I also worked on G-Star and the announcement of Pharrell, joining their executive team, um, mm. Fashion Weeks in Milan and Paris, um, in New York, and also in Hawaii. Um, wow. You know, James LaForce and Leslie Stevens will be – more than just mentors, they're like a, a, a mother and father um, relationship to me that helps shape who I am professionally um, and also personally. Like, you know, something as simple as, you know, the, the types of ways I enrich my life through art and through food, through theater. Um, I think I was looking at PR as like, this is my job, this is what I do, and then I go home and I just go hang with my friends. But in being around mm. James and Leslie, specifically, they taught me, no, you go to the Met, you go to the Cloisters, you go to the theater, you do all these things because then you become well-rounded and the conversations and the campaigns and the strategies that you put together are through multiple lenses because you've experienced life through multiple lenses. So mm. um, it, their, their um, mentorship and their guidance for those almost five years that I worked with them um, the last year and a half with James was very valuable. And so, right, I was at APA PR, which was inside of a larger entertainment agency, which was APA, um, which stands for the Agency for, for Performing Artists. Um, I was there for a year and a half, and I sat with the branding and digital team. And every Wednesday we would get together and talk about the deals that the celebrities that they represented were getting, you know. Um, oh, so-and-so is going to get – half a million dollars for a YouTube video, some Instagram mm. posts, and it's going to be syndicated to Facebook and Twitter. And I would, like, look around, like, wait a minute, how much is she getting? This is a, this is uh. a thing. This is a thing. Um, and I knew, like, influencers were big, and I guess I didn't realize with celebrities, you know, they were considered um, branded and digital deals because the celebrity can only make but so much money because they can only make but so many movies a year, right? Um, yeah. Most celebrities you see that work on big picture or big budget pictures, they're doing like two or three of those because most of those movies shoot six to nine months out of the year, and they're in remote locations and all these things. So it's not like you're constantly working on a movie screen so or a movie set, so you got to think about other revenue streams, and that's where the endorsement deals come in and, you're now the face of Revlon or you're now the face of um, Lancome or Alme or whatever beauty brand it is because that money sustains you until the next big uh, picture, uh, big budget picture comes out. So um, there, were, there were agents who were brokering these sponsorship deals on behalf of these actors, and I was sitting literally right next to them and hearing mm. how they were doing it and what really – made me want to start Noir Management was, you know, just hearing conversations about people of color and um, the way we were being almost like not poached, but more so approached in, oh, these people are trending. Mm. Or these, we need more of these people on our roster. And then again, it goes back to, when I say, oh, my God, I'm the only one in 2018, oh, my God, I'm the only one. It's like in 2018, the fact that we have to remind companies to be diverse is, is, mm. is mind-boggling. But you have to because just like you made the reference point when you were at FYI PR, that PR and marketing has always generally been predominantly Caucasian and predominantly female. And so mm -hmm. when you think about these beauty companies or you think about these fashion companies and these marketing teams at these fashion companies, most times there are people of color in those conversations. So when someone's putting a campaign together, we can expect them to be sensitive to the experience 
the experiences of others if they don't have those others in their circle to remind them to be sensitive to Mm -hmm. them. And I think that's why the things like revolve around the world happens where, you know, you have this, this well-known fashion um, that then takes these influencers um, on a boat and then they don't have anyone of any person of color there. And people are like, Oh my God, how could they not have anyone of color? And it's like, because I guarantee you the the founder and designer of Revolve, who had no fault of her uh-huh. own, she probably doesn't have any friends who are of color. <laughs> <She doesn't. laughs> you know what I mean? I have I have friends to this day who don't have friends that are non-black. So when um, I'm yep. mentioning certain topics or I'm mentioning certain songs or I'm talking about certain foods, they're like, what? What is that? What is that? I'm like, right. I can't expect you to be knowledgeable in something you've never experienced. And we are only mm-hmm. knowledgeable in the things that we firsthand experience or are led to experience. And I think that's why it's so important for us to remember how global our um, society is and also how global our economy is. Because when you remember how global it is, you open your mind up to infinite possibilities of wealth building, right? Like if you understand how this group operates and how this group is motivated versus how this group um, is excited about a product, then you kind of get into, okay, all of these different groups have different things that excite them. What's the one thing that connects them? Hmm. And and once you figure out the one thing that connects us all, no matter where we're from, um, religious or sexual background, cultural background, all those things, once you find the root of what connects all people, that's when you get the brands like a Beyonce. That's when you get the brand yeah, sure. like a Levi's or you get a brand like an Apple. Like th- people are brands because it doesn't matter who's consuming the brand. There is something within that brand that that person can connect with. And so Noir hmm. Management, we – decided to have the audacity to say we are here for people of color <laughs> you know it's like we're the we are what i like to consider the hbcu for influencers <laughs> i love that that is so brilliant i love that Ernest. that is so brilliant <laughs> and you i'm know like what? why I did i come so up with that Listen, everybody <laughs> is like what do we, we were seven years into influencer marketing. Um, I think that's when, I think DBA, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest um, digital influencer marketing agency out there, they started, they were the trailblazers that said, listen, bloggers are going to become even more important and social platforms and how brands are promoted on social platforms are only going to become more important by being um, promoted by these bloggers. So let's go out there and manage them and help broker these deals. So Risa and Raina and all of them over at um, DBA, they are brilliant in what they Mm. trailblazed seven, eight years ago. But in seven, eight years, how many influencer agencies have popped up behind DBA and how many of those rosters actually include people of color? And I'm not saying that, um, and, you know, I want to go on the record to say I'm not excluding um, Asians, I'm not excluding Latinos, I'm talking about brown and black men and women, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I was working on campaigns, I would reach out to influencer agencies and say, this is great, but do you have anyone of color? And they would send me mm. a Latino who was more racially ambiguous. So they mm. could be light skinned black, they could be white with a tan, you don't really know. And I would say, no, sorry, let me be more specific. Do you have any people that are brown or black? And the fact that you have to be that specific <laughs> them out. is like, wow, okay. Because me being brown, I want to make sure that someone that looks like me is represented in this campaign. Yeah. Yeah, and so sure. Noir Management, have using the knowledge and expertise that we have, you know, is to say, okay, no, like how are you communicating with brands? Because I think a lot of 
creatives of color are so good at what they do with that business side of in terms of like communicating with the brand, what information to give to a brand. Um, it's not that they don't know. It's the last thing that they're thinking about because they're, they are so creative. And that's the beauty of the work that they're doing, right? Um, I referenced this in the WWD article that came out when we officially launched back in April. You know, I believe it was 76% or 73% of non Hispanic whites believe that African Americans influence culture, pop pop culture. So mm. if seventy three percent think that African Americans influence pop culture, why aren't we all mm. over billboards? Why aren't we all over the magazines? Why are we not in the commercials? Because we don't have to be. Because we continue to buy products. Yep. You know, mm. that doesn't necessarily speak to us. And I always say the one way to get someone's attention is to ignore them. Very and true. that's what's happened. You know, you think about the times when, like, a girl or a guy is trying to court someone else, and they're like, Ugh, I know he see me over here. I know she see me. And it's like being ignored, you do more to be seen because you're like, how can they ignore me? And we yeah. as African Americans, unfortunately, have allowed – these bigger companies to ignore us because we've gone out and purchased more of their goods to prove that mm. we're worthy to wear it and that we can afford it. We might not even be, be able to afford it, but we want to prove something buy it. to them. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we want to say, oh, you, you don't have to put us in and we're going to still buy it. Yeah, but at, to, to whose detriment? Because they're getting mm. richer and they're still not showing us and they're still not including yeah. us. But this is why I say shout out to the younger millennials and Gen Z because they're going to bat for those to those companies and saying, we're not buying it unless I see someone that looks like me. Yes, they're and definitely more vocal. They're more vocal and companies are being called to the carpet. So now they have to go out and say, we need a person of color. Um, and right now we're at a point where that person of color is a person of color. Like, they don't know that that person of color can be bald head, that person of color can have an afro, that person of color can have a fade, they can have cornrows. Like, there's so many flavors that people of color come in that brands haven't even scratched the surface. So mm. all they know is we need, a, we, need a, we, need a, we need a brown girl or we need a, a black man. And it's like, okay, um, you want a beard? No beard. You want light eyes? <laughs> Like, what are we talking here? you got to be more We have so much flavor. We have yes. so much flavor because you can say, I need, unfortunately, you can say, oh, um, bring me a white woman. And most times you'd be like, okay, yep, this works. You know, but and the flavors it. of African-Americans is like, well, which one do you want? Because I can bring someone who's natural. I can bring someone who's team track. I can bring someone who's bald. Like, you kind of got to be more specific. And I think that's the laziness of brands is like, oh, who do we pick that would appeal to our audience? It's like, that's your job. You make millions mm-hmm. of dollars selling products. Do the work. Like, everyone's becoming more lazy and no one wants to do the work. So it's easier for these, these like, you know, marketing girls that are, like, in their 20s to go to their bosses and say, here are the influencers we should partner with to promote our brand. And the boss isn't on mm. Instagram because they're looking at budgets and they have to put together bigger board meeting documents. So they're thinking that, oh, my, my younger associate who's in that world and on the social platform, they know and have their finger on the pulse. So these girls are good and they're just looking at numbers. Okay, that's great that you have 10 girls with 500,000 plus followers, but guess what? They all look the same. So mm. when you think about it, it's almost like why do you think people decide when they're advertising in magazines, okay, do I go to Vogue, Elle, or Harper's Bazaar? Okay, once you figure out one of those, then you go to the next set, Marie Claire, Cosmo, or Glamour. Okay, once you figure out those, then you go to the next set, um, mm-hmm. Oprah Magazine, Red Book, Good Housekeeping. There's a set for each group of magazines. And mm-hmm. the smartest marketer isn't putting their ads 
in Vogue, L, and Harvard's Bazaar because guess what? It's the same customer. So if they saw it in Vogue, it by the time they get to L or Harper's, depending on which magazine is the last one, they're going to flip past it. So you've wasted almost $200,000 because you are mm. talking to the customer three times. It's like, why don't you diversify? <laughs> and that's what, it's like, you know, it's so simple. It like people so diversify true. portfolios. Like when you look at someone who has a ton of wealth, they've diversified their portfolio. They're in stocks, they're in bonds, they're in real estate, they're in this, they're in that. It's like diversify your marketing message in the most simplest way. Be inclusive of all people, and your message mm-hmm. gets out to a larger audience because each one teach one, we spread the word, and then uh, that's why I unfortunately don't feel bad for companies that are going out of business. These retail mm. brands. Yeah, because they, they didn't try and, like, and, and okay. help. They didn't try to diversify at all. Yep. You thought the same thing would work, and now here we are. And honestly, retail is not dying, but um, people are needing experiences. I can't tell you how many times I go into a, a clothing, a retail store. I look at the line first, and the, the cashier, the line to cash out is wrapped around the store. So I'm already like, do I really want to stand in line for this? Like, do I really want to stand in line for this? And then I see, and I get it, you know, midday, like, the clothes get all out of the way, whatever, cool. I worked in retail. I think everyone should do a bid in retail because retail is no joke. Like, customer service <laughs> and maintaining a area is no joke. Like, everyone should do a holiday season or something in retail to understand what those people definitely go Definitely a holiday season. Definitely a holiday definitely season. Definitely a holiday season. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you go into these stores, the music is whatever. It's super loud. The dressing rooms are the tiniest things because now it's a numbers game. Every store manager, every district manager, um, every regional manager is wondering, what's your conversion rate? And your conversion rate is – how many customers came into your stores versus how many customers actually purchased something? And it's a numbers mm. game. So we're not worrying about the experience in the store. We're worrying about making money. Great. We all want to make money, but, again, to the detriment of the business and, the ultimate, and ultimately the customer service and experience that you want your brand to be known for. I think that's why you still have Nordstrom because Nordstrom's customer mm-hmm. service is impeccable, and you're like, guess what? I'm going to go into that store, and I'm going to be well taken care of, and if this thing doesn't work out in six months, I can take it back. Yeah, and the dressing room is nice. Like, you just don't even want to And the dressing room is lights. nice. You don't even have to go mm. to the designer section. You can be in, um, what's it called, BG or um, a friend of mine used to work at, or wide, one of their, like, like, more, like, contemporary floors. The oh, dressing yeah. room is still as nice as the it's floor so nice. where their Valentino is. It's like they don't discriminate because of the department that you're in. They want every customer mm-hmm. to feel like you're spending $5, you're spending $5,000. You are the same. Thank you for giving us your business. And a lot of stores don't say thank you for giving us your business when you walk in. It's like, next. You're, it's almost like lunch <laughs> meeting at, at school, next. It's like, what's happening? So that's why the Internet, you know, shouts out to Amazon. You know what? If you're not going to give me an experience and you want this to be transactional, Amazon does that. And while I'm at it, I'm going to get my groceries. I'm going to get my paper towels. And I don't have to leave mm-hmm. my house. So yeah, and it's two days. It takes two days. Anybody in retail listening, create experiences, and that is what will bring retail back. Because retail is not dead. People still enjoy shopping. It's just give that experience to the customer. That was a long-winded way of saying that um, a lot of the creatives that we work with at Noir Management, they all create experiences. Um, And that's everyone from our client, Kayla Walker, who's a seven-time Emmy-nominated TV host and producer. Love her, love her, yes. She's so vibrant and um, so full of life. And we hosted our first ever Kiki with Kayla which was an opportunity for her fans to come out, hear her speak, have cocktails, listen to music, and just kiki. Um, and it was awesome. It was a sold-out event, and it was an experience. Like, people walked away just mm. being like, oh, my God, who you are 
online is exactly who you are offline and in real person. And, you know, we had, like, a 45-minute line of people willing to, like, take selfies with her because they had so wow. much fun. And, you know, it's also, like, our client um, Rondell Holder, who is a marketing executive at a big media company but also is a travel aficionado. And Rondell started mm-hmm. Soul Society 101, which basically is a um, platform that celebrates the explosion of the global African-American traveler and mm. in celebrating that African-Americans are traveling more and we're going, we're taking more international trips. Um, I want to work with people that are just as hungry as I am. Like eventually I would love, we will, you know, um, be as big, manifest it. We will be as big as a CAA, a William Morris Endeavors, um, That's you right. know, all of those large um, Hollywood talent agents that represent some of the top talent, like noir management will be a place for the scripted um, writers and authors and um, physical production, which could be like cameramen and assistant directors, Mm. like all of the various departments represented within larger talent agencies. We're just starting small because digital influencers are literally redefining the media landscape. So, um, and helping to build these brands, and that's why we say we're a management agency as opposed to a talent agency, because we are, we're not agents, we are brand managers. We are helping manage personal brands and building them into bigger brands. And when you go into it that way, we always say, um, any campaign we do needs to be one of two things bank building or brand building. If it's mm. neither of those, you leave it at the door. And that helps our <laughs> clients really think about where do I want to go with my career? If you only want to be an influencer and you just want to just go to parties and take pictures, then that's fine. You can do that. But if you want to have a career, if you want to build a brand that could, God forbid, one day they say, you know what, social media is the devil's work. Turn it off. <laughs> what happens if you lose Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? Exactly. Would anyone know who you are? If I walk out this door, would I know who you are? I um, love that. So that's why it's important that we help our influencers build their platforms offline just as much as we help them build it online because most digital influencers have a shelf life of five years before someone else comes up right behind them to do the exact same thing. Same thing, Maybe they do something a little Mm -hmm. different, and then it's like, okay, well, why am I following this old person because now I can follow this new person, and they have, like, this cool new feature. So tell me, because I already know. I already have a feeling, and the universe has spoken to me, and I already know that people are going to be flocking towards you to manage them, you know, you have a great roster already. Um, you guys can check it out on his website. I'll, you know, link it in the description. Um, but you have a great roster already, and I'm pretty sure after this podcast interview, people are going to wonder more, and there there will be some people who want to be managed now that they know what the deal is. So tell me, what are some requirements that you have? Because you can't just be any old Joe Smo down the block, you know, <laughs> and you have – one follower on Instagram and you have one CD with one song on it talking about, I need a manager. So (laughs) tell me what are some requirements? (laughs) Yes, you are right, Franny. That is so funny. One CD. One CD with one song on it. (laughs) But listen, shout out to the hustlers out there, like on the corner. Shout shout out. Like seriously, like those people, are the real MVPs because they know, like, uh, groundswell street team will is still important in today's world. But, no, like, I, I think it's really important for us to, like, let people know, like, you just because you get a manager doesn't mean you're going to automatically blow up. Like, there mm-hmm. is a dating period with a manager because that manager has to know you inside and out. In order to be able to successfully help you build the brand that you're hoping to build, and that's why before we take on um, 
we always say in the initial conversations, oh, we'd like to discuss your business goals. And some people are like, oh, mm. I don't have business goals. Okay, well, then oh, this then is no. not the place for you because uh-uh. this is a business. Mm-hmm. And your Instagram profile, consider it – your Instagram profile is a media platform, just like, again, an L.com or any of those other .coms. You know, just like your website, Franny, if someone wanted to advertise on your website, there are various units that you would sell. The banner above the fold is one price. The 728 mm-hmm. by 90 banner on the right or the left is another price. The footer is another price. And these are terminologies that just come from me understanding and doing advertising and media buying. But you, people have to look at their Instagram profile as a media platform, and everything on that platform is sellable. Oh, you want me to give you a static Instagram post in my feed. Great. Based on my numbers, I'm looking at 10 to $20 per 1,000 followers, okay? That's mm. how we help our clients figure out what they should be charging, 10 to $20 per 1,000. And, you know, there are mm. different things that can um, inform that, but that's a basis of where you can start. And then from there you say, okay, um, what's your engagement? Most brands are looking for anywhere close to 5% and above engagement. So you see a lot of these mm. girls that have the million-plus followers, but they only get, like, 2,000 likes. It's like, girl, these are bought followers. You have a million followers yeah. and only 2,000 people like those? <laughs> really? Really? Like, yeah, no, that doesn't add up. That's terrible. That doesn't yeah. add up. So, you know, um, most of our influencers have right around 4 to 5% engagement. That's important for a mm. brand to know and see. Um, and then also, so your Instagram feed, a static post, static meaning just a photo, that's one price. A video post in your, on your feed, that's a completely separate price because that's a little bit more involved. Now we've got to, you know, think about who's producing that video. Now, if they just want a little fly 50 stacks or minute long video, of you talking about this product, fine. But if they wanted it to be edited and all these different things, and, of course, you're a brand, you're only going to put out what is going to go with the aesthetic of your brand, so you're not just going to do some whatever half-assed video. So now you have to pay a videographer. Brands need mm-hmm. to realize you're going to pay for that because just like yeah. a brand would pay a stylist, pay a seamstress, pay a photographer, pay the photographer's assistant, pay the venue for a marketing campaign shoot, that's essentially what you're asking these influencers to do when you engage them to create prod, um, to create promotional materials on your behalf. Yes, the, hmm. the budget is smaller because it's a smaller scale production, but at the same time, you still need to remember that influencer has a photographer, so how much does that photographer charge? Or they have a videographer, how much do they charge? So then their time, location, scouting, these are all the things. Like influencers are wearing many hats. In brands, there is an art director. Most brands have an art director who is sourcing venues and sourcing photographers and all these different things. Like the influencer has to be the art director, the stylist, Sometimes they have to be the photographer, they have to be the assistant, they have to be all of these things. You need to remember that that is where their rate is coming from to produce the content that has grabbed you and wanted you to partner with them from the beginning. So Mm. we really look at engagement, we look at followers, um, and we also look at uniqueness and um, the type of voice they have within the space because a lot of what happens in – influencer digital agencies that manage influencers, they just take a bunch of people to have a, a really crazy roster. But then what happens is you have your clients competing against one another. So I don't need 15 fashion girls. What I need is like a basketball team or a football team where you have a quarterback, but then you have two reserves. Mm. And it's like if we all – have a position on the team, we know our position on the team, and we just help one another. And that is how you get campaigns with multiple clients because this can, this influencer is more lifestyle where this one is more um, 
culinary, and let's be clear before I even go even any further, any all influencers at this point are lifestyle influencers. Before it used to be, oh, I'm only fashion or I'm only beauty, but you do go out to eat, you do travel, you do work out. Mm-hmm. So technically, if you will, again, this is where it's like bigger picture thinking. If you become a lifestyle brand, you open yourself up to some exposure more, to more other deals. brands, to more deals. Mm-hmm. To more checks. So to more checks, exactly. <laughs> so it's like if you were to build this brand offline, if you show that you work out, you hosting a workout on behalf of a brand and people come to that, hello. So then if one mm. day you wanted to have a fitness, say a fitness video, you could have a fitness video because people have seen you host said fitness classes with other well-known brands. So why wouldn't you do your own fitness video? Or you can have your own line of fitness product or your own line of nutritional products. Like, again, if you think about the bigger picture and you're like, how, does my, how can my lifestyle be monetized? Because, again, it's about making money. Yeah, like if, for sure. If, we, if you don't remember, you're like, you're not just staying up late, editing photos, taking photos, or having photo shoots in Times Square and changing in the bathroom of the McDonald's for a reason. You're doing this because you want exposure and eventually you want to make money. And I think that everyone can be who they are in doses. Like you have to remember that at the end of the day, in order for you to get to where you need to go, you have to influence those who aren't your biggest fans and make them your biggest fans. Because mm. if I just have a bunch of people around me saying, yes, Ernest, like all of my day ones that knew me when I had the struggle braids and like <laughs> just always used to listen to Little Kim, like if I only had them in my circle, it'd be like I was like winning all the time, which is great because you need that pep talk and you need that motivation. But you also need people to like check you and be like, you ain't doing nothing. That's nothing. Mm. You need to keep going because those people keep you humble. Those people keep you hungry, and those people keep you grinding. Because once you stop grinding, then you need to know what comes with that decision. And every decision you make has a positive or negative re- um, reaction to it. But, yeah, so uh-huh. tell me what you have planned next for New Orleans management and also where people can find you on social if they want to, you know, keep up with you and see what you're doing, see what your clients are up to. So give us your handles and website and things like that. Yeah, so um, you guys can follow our company, IG, at um, N-O-I-R-E-M-G-M-T, so that's at Noir Management. And um, our website is www.noire-mgmt.com. Um, just check us out there. You know, we are just steady building and grinding. We are in the midst of signing a few new exciting um, talent that we're super excited about that believe in the mission and vision of Noir Management. And from there, um, we'll be doing some fun activations uh coming up in the fall time so but just going to get through the T experience with our client must love beards and i don't do clubs and then essence fest with kayla walker um wow. in early july yeah so lots wow. of exciting stuff we those are, are big we are those are big playing, you, know. you are not playing those are definitely big events and i'm so proud of you and thank you for I'm so glad you did this. I, no, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Oh well, no, like no. This was no. You have you no got idea. out of it. <laughs> I got out of it just as much as you did, if not more. Like talking to you. Oh my Shout gosh. out to you and your platform, and just giving people the opportunity because I think it's super important that we not only see our stories but we hear our stories. So thank, thank you, for, you for providing this platform where we can tell our stories and inspire others because, like I said, everyone has a struggle, but that's just the mentality. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on the Black Race Club podcast, telling your story, sharing yourself with us, you know, because we see you, we hear you, 
and you're doing great things for people of color. You're doing great things in general. Like, it's not just for people of color. It's for everyone. Like, for everyone to even see a change and see in their own companies how they can be better, diversify, include everyone, you know, because it's not a bad thing. We're out here. We're, we're flawless. We look good. We can represent your brand. And here's someone who's actually doing it for people of color and doing it well. So it's not even just for us. It's for other people, too, to see what you're doing. And they can change the, their, own, their own way that they, that they do their business. So I think it's just great what you're doing, and I wish you nothing but success. And I Thank look you. forward to seeing you grow. Yeah, for sure. So, you guys, if you want to check him out, he gave you the handle. I also have the description on the website. If you go to blackwitchclub.com, you can check this out there. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud. But if you want any notes, any type of info about him, um, all of that will be on blackwitchclub.com. And thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Thank you.